Good morning. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. We continue with our series on this wonderful book that has been bringing our attention week by week to what Christ has done, to his exalted place, his grace to us. Hebrews 9, today we begin with verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priests enter the holy places, every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Our Heavenly Father, we, we are here and all sorts of situations of life, perhaps with, with different situations of, of heart toward you, and, and it may be for some even difficult for their minds to be here. Lord, you are, you are here as well. And so we ask for your grace to help us in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Swan Auction Galleries in New York City is the largest specialist auctioneer of works on paper that exists in the world. And according to their website, the most common question they get in their Americana department is, I found an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. Is it worth anything? the short answer, they say, is it's, it's worth somewhere between zero and $10 million, but probably zero. Now, they say the most common request they get in the Department of Americana is, I found the Declaration of Independence. That means this hasn't happened just once or twice This is something that happens on somewhat of a regular basis. Think of the person who goes through the work of finding swan auction houses and calls them. 
We found it in our attic. Can you believe it? We've got a copy. We're going to be rich. Do, do you know how much this is worth? They call, trying to become so excited. I found a copy, an original of the Declaration of Independence. How much is it worth? To find out, nothing because you didn't find an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Copies have a benefit to us. Uh, They let us see what the original of something that's rare and wonderful is like. They have a benefit, but they don't have value. And that's what the verses we just read, that's the point that the writer of Hebrews is making. The difference between the benefit of a copy that allows us to see a truth and the original which has great worth. And so we're, we're in the middle of an argument and a description here in chapter 9. So if this is your first Sunday here, you've kind of stepped in the middle of something that is being written. The copies that the writer talks about here in verse 23 uh, is uh, the copies of the, the place and the rituals of worship in Old Testament Israel. That which God gave through Moses for the people of where to worship, how to worship. And what we've seen throughout this book is those were copies of a reality. The reality is the person of Christ and what he has done for us. The copies were those rituals that until Christ came, The rituals that God's people went through over the years to help them understand what God would do and and why we need God to do what he did, why there was no other option. And so we read in verse 26 of the high priest who would, representing the people of God, enter the tabernacle and then the temple, which represented the presence of God, where God dwelt. And once a year, that high priest would take blood from an animal sacrifice and make atonement for sin. Atonement means to be reconciled by covering over guilt. So the priest would carry out this ritual of a blood sacrifice going into the the holy place in the tabernacle offering this sacrifice that represented that we are sinners who need to be made right with God. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 16, which describes what God had given for the high priest to do, it says, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people, because of all their sins. That was the copy, the high priest going into the temple, making sacrifices, and all of the other rituals that we've we've heard about in recent weeks. The reality is what we've been looking at 
throughout this entire study of the book of Hebrews. The reality is that Jesus, God in flesh, came into the world and became our high priest. A priest is someone who represents people to God. Jesus does that for us. We no longer need the copy of some person representing us to God through a process. It is through Jesus himself who he went before the presence of the Father offering himself as a sacrifice by dying on the cross, paying for the guilt of our sin by his blood. And so we no longer approach God through copies, through symbols, through representations. Now we come before God through the person who actually saves. The Old Testament copy was important. It was given so we would have a sense of what was real until the day that the real came. So we would know most essentially that our sin is our greatest problem. And our sin is what pushes God away and what has broken relationship with him. And yet God desires to be reconciled to sinners. That's why God established the rituals. That's why God had the tabernacle built. It's why he had the sacrifices made. It's why he established priests. God wanted a, a form place before so that we would see, though we are far from God, God wants us near. God wants a way for us to be restored to him. The problem is none of the copies can actually do that. Payment, actual payment, is needed for actual guilt. God cannot ignore his character and his perfect justice. All sin must receive the penalty that all sin deserves. What does that mean for us? Since we are all sinners without exception, we all are under the penalty of judgment. The Bible says the, the wage of sin is death. The death of our bodies, though, is only part of the judgment. In verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So part of God's judgment on the world is that sin brings death, but after the death of the body, uh, we come before God's presence and our soul receives the justice deserved for sin, and that is to be cast by the presence of God under his wrath in the place the Bible calls hell where the grace of God is eternally absent. No copy of payment can remove that burden. 
Our guilt can't be removed by any religious process, by any symbols or illustrations of the fact that we are sinners, that payment needs to be made. The the actual payment needs to be made. So that means that no animal sacrifice over the centuries in Israel ever took away the guilt of sin. And it means that no one's good works now remove your guilt of sin. The idea that, well, I know I've done bad things. If I kind of start doing some more good things, maybe every once in a while I'll do something big, that'll, that'll make up for it. What, being good is just what we're supposed to be. You don't get extra credit for being good. We're supposed to be good. The reality is however much goodness what should be in your life exists, the sin is still there. And it has to be dealt with. Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sin is not a copy. It's the real thing. Jesus is the real deal because of his singular ability to do what no one else could do, what we can't do for ourselves, what no high priest in Israel could do for the people of God. Christ can do what no one else can because first he is eternal So he is the one without beginning or end. So the the copies, the symbols were priest after priest after priest after generation. Those coming symbolizing we need someone to bring us to God. Jesus eternally is the one who lives and himself brings us to God. Jesus is sinless. And so he is worthy to be received and enter the Father's presence. Jesus is truly man, born of a virgin, born with human nature and flesh. So as a man, he is able to die. Jesus is truly God, God in flesh. The man who was able to die had the capacity to bear our sin in his death and pay the price of that sin. Verse 28, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, and we saw in verse 26 that he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. No one else can begin to do that. No one can take your guilt before God away from you. You can't get rid of it. It's there. Only Christ has the capacity as God, as man, as perfect for his death to do something that would remove the guilt of our sin. And God knows what is a copy and what is real. God sees 
There's no confusion. There's no lack of clarity. God sees us and he sees our sin. No matter how much we think it's hidden or time has passed, no matter how much self-justifying has taken place in our thinking that, well, they deserved it or I should have this. I deserve to get that. We can justify whatever our sinful actions have been, but God sees what it really is. Sin against him. And God sees that our accomplishments are no payment for that sin. It's like a a kid who comes into the house, he's been out in the marsh and meadows and he's all muddy and he's tracking it in and his mom comes in and is upset. What are you doing? You've made a mess. And the kid starts apologizing. I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna clean it up. Don't worry. But the problem is he's a muddy mess. So he's trying to clean as he's tracking mud everywhere as he's cleaning And as any 11-year-old boy, his capacity to clean is not very impressive. And wherever he tries to clean, all he does is just smear the mud a little bit more. That is exactly what it's like when we think, oh, God, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to clean it up. And in our muddiness, we just smear it some more. God sees the reality of our sin, of our inability to clean ourselves or our past. God also, as he sees us, he sees his son who he sent to bear the guilt of our sin. He sees what Christ has done, what Christ has paid, what Christ has put away. And he sees the wonderful, inexhaustible righteousness of Jesus. And he sees how faithful he went to the cross and bore our sin and carried it into the grave, and then raised himself up to live. And the Father sees all of that, and he sees who belongs to Jesus. He sees who has been purified by his Son, as the verses tell us. Verse 26 says, that what Christ has done is once for all. The priest had to keep going into the temple day after day after year. It had to be continual because it never really took away guilt. The symbol of we are guilty, the payment must be made, just had to keep being repeated. Christ, one time, the cross is not repeated. 
And so the idea of the Roman church where the center of the gathering is the mass, where the bread and wine actually becomes the blood and the flesh of Jesus, and that has to be taken in if you are to be made right with God, somehow missing once for all. It is never repeated because what Jesus did was done completely. It is impossible to add to what Christ has done because he completely forever removed the guilt of all sin for everyone who trusts in him. There is no guilt left, none. Talk about a declaration of independence, a statement of you are free. And so, believer, you do not honor God by feeling bad about your sin. You honor God by confessing and turning from sin. That's always essential to honor God. You you don't honor God by staying in sin. But when we've confessed sin, we do not honor God by thinking, I need to feel bad about it for a while. I need to go into God's doghouse. I need to keep away from him. God, God wants me to suffer a little bit. God wants me to feel really wretched. We don't We don't honor God by neglecting the guilt that is removed once for all. All guilt for all time. All guilt for all time. When you sin, we confess immediately, freely, and in doing so, we run to him. We don't stay away from him. So how can we have Jesus put away our sin? Simply repent of your sin and trust in Christ who did that? It's not by getting to a place where Jesus says, okay, now I'm happy with you. It's going to him as we saw read in, we read in Mark earlier, it's realizing he came for sinners. So as a sinner, go and say, Lord, I need you. I'm bearing my sin. I can't get rid of it. I believe you died for sin, will you take mine? It is to repent of our sin, to call for him to take the guilt away and believe that what he does, he does perfectly well. And we don't add to what he has done. We don't become more saved by what we do, rather we show that we actually do love him by living 
a righteous, faithful life. Not adding to our salvation, but living out. He has set me free. I love him. His way is good and wise, so that is what I will pursue. It's, it's keeping clear what obedience does and what it's for, and it is not for making us more saved or for keeping our salvation. It is to live in a way that honors Jesus who died for us. Now you may be thinking as you hear all of this, what, is, what does that have to do with my problems right now? I need real solutions. I need, I need answers. My marriage is falling apart. I don't know how to fix it. I'm so deep in problems, I can't even breathe. Or no one... No one really knows how alone I feel inside. People don't realize how much hurt I'm carrying that I don't speak of. Or maybe it's, I just want to be happy. I just want life to work. Or maybe it's, it's a young person. I'm in a crisis of my identity. I don't know who, what I am. I don't know where to go with it. Maybe there's other similar kinds of questions. Those are swirling. And what you want, you want to hear something that, that somehow touches one of those issues. Well, those are good questions to bring up here and now. Those are good questions actually for this passage, and God can handle your questions. God can handle whatever's going inside of you. It's not too much for him. He's not flustered. He's not confused. He's clear. He's committed. He has answer, no matter how convoluted your life is, and no matter how many other people have just thrown up their hands because they don't know what to do, Christ does. So what is true about you? Isn't that what you need to know? What's true about you and what opinion, because there's lots of them out there, what opinion is actually going to do something... What voice out there can actually guarantee what they're saying? Anyone can say something, throw it on the internet and say, do this. Who can guarantee? And who will still be there at the end with whatever consequences have come by what advice you follow? Who will be there? Who has any kind of authority to handle what is going on in your life? We can all agree with this. A counterfeit answer is not going to work. 
when you call up with your Declaration of Independence, that's a nice copy. It doesn't leave you with anything. You have a soul that yearns for life that's full and good. Do you know why? Because God created you with a soul. It's his creation placed in you and the desire for life to be good and full comes from God himself. And he understands your struggle and your pain and he is here and he has answers. Why is this passage so important for all of these big issues? We have them. God has answers. God wants life to be full. How does this connect? Our sin is what keeps it from connecting. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is, in effect, thinking and acting in ways that push God away. That's really what a sin is. It is, no, God, I'm going to do what I want. Sin by its nature is not, there's all sorts of standards, and God just, I don't want you to do that, and we do it anyway. Sin is God who is perfect and has given us the way for his creation to work. Sin is to say, I don't want to do what creator has established and has said is good. I, I want to go my way. So sin immediately creates separation. Sin is going the opposite way of the creator and of what is good, of what will work. It blinds us, and it keeps us from the person who cares and actually has the ability to meet our need. And so what your problem and struggle and burden is, it cannot truly be resolved until we recognize that sin, our sin, is the seed and at the center. And until we deal with the sin problem, we cannot have restoration with God and so we cannot have the grace that we need. It starts with realizing our sin, the need for God who sent a Savior to remove our guilt. So Christ is the centerpiece of life being what God intended. And it can never, ever work until we deal with sin and only Christ can solve our sin problem. And all of the other tendrils of, of difficulty and confusion and struggle in life, they're all coming from this centerpiece. It's not about God has rules and we have to follow them to make God happy. It is... We can't be in relationship with God if we're pushing him away. He wants 
us to live in relationship with him in the way that he created us to be. It is to walk in how we are made. It's living in the truth of God and what it means to know him. And as you think about what your life needs and where you're at, Jesus is not a counterfeit. Jesus is not a copy. Jesus is not less than you hoped for. Jesus is the fulfillment of God meeting us in our need. Jesus himself, by himself, does that. For Jesus is God who did come into this world, born of a virgin, and he alone did live a perfect life. And Jesus did die on the cross, and he did carry our sin, and he did raise himself from the dead. These are the things that he is done and he is now, here now, and, and we have his history. And so it's not some voice on the internet telling you what you should understand about yourself or what you should do. It's Jesus who lived in this world and you can read his record. You can get to know, you can see what Jesus did. You can read about how he interacted with people with all sorts of problems. You can see his heart. You can see his care. You can hear his words. You can read them and know what Jesus had to say. You can go right to him. And as a living person, he will speak to you. He will show how alive he is. And you don't have to get Jesus to love you. You don't have to do anything to convince him to care for you. The Bible tells us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No one, no one got Jesus to love them. He loved them and then comes to us to show us and convince us of what is true of his love, that we would respond and believe he really, he really is looking out for me. Jesus does reign. He is returning. Verse 28, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. If we actually live that way, that Jesus reigns and is returning, if we actually live that way, then our heart will be filled with expectation even though we still have to live in a world with a lot of mess and ugliness in it. 
to live that way is to know that he is sovereign over all your circumstances. And so he should be sovereign over all your responses to them. And it means we live eternally minded. We're living for the one who's coming again to establish his kingdom, not ours. So wherever you are in your life, your heart today, you've never really paid attention to Christ and you need, you need to face the reality of your sin. What you need is to call out for Christ, forgive me, take my sin. I want to live for you. Or that is true of you, and there's coolness of heart or inconsistency. Wherever you are, don't settle for copies, for counterfeits. Look to Jesus. Love him. Because if, if your faith is in Christ, then you truly are holding an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. You, you truly have found what is of inestimable worth. What does set us free? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, would you speak to each person bringing clarity to what they understand and what they don't? Would you show you are alive and here? Would you give light to the truth they need? Would you save those still mired in their sin would you build up those struggling to follow you? Do these things for we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.